My name is Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastor elders here, and uh, good to be back. We were, as Trudy said a little bit ago, in Leavenworth, Washington last weekend. A gorgeous little town. If you haven't been, I'd encourage you uh, to head that way. Uh, us being from Colorado, we were seeing some pictures going, man, we really should have come in the snow, but uh, the fall was also very nice. And uh, let's see here, we're going to jump and continue in Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 18 today. And I was looking at these stories and uh, the parables that we're going to share in, is like, this is my kind of language. I love Jesus teaching in parables. As I see the world uh, through movies and television, through music that I listen to, in all these places I see God uh, in, and illustrations. I used to drive my family nuts because I was like, oh man. That'd make a great sermon illustration, and and in every show, every movie that we ever watch, and uh, I just think that we relate uh, to bigger things of life through films and through movies, and that's what Jesus was doing regularly, drawing the people back to things that were applicable to their time, to the world that was around them, helping people to see this is where God exists in your everyday experience, and helping them to learn lessons out of these kinds of short stories, and so I love this kind of section that we're in this morning, but before we jump into it, I uh, have a bit of a parable of my own. See, little Leroy was playing out in the backyard, and as he did, he saw his mom in the kitchen, saw that she was preparing dinner, and said, this is my time, this is my moment, I'm going to go in. His birthday was coming up in just a few weeks. His bike had broken a couple weeks before, so he knew this was his moment. And so he goes into the kitchen, and, and, and very nicely, mom, how are you? Dinner smells so wonderful. You know, I was thinking about my birthday. Did you know that was coming up? I was thinking I might like a bike, a red one, for my birthday. And mom knows that Leroy hasn't exactly been a great boy this year. He's gotten in trouble at school. He's been in trouble and grounded at home. He's even gotten in trouble at Sunday school this year. Ooh. Yeah, that was, it was that bad. That's how bad it was. And... Uh, and as he's saying this, the mom's thinking through being a Christian woman. She's going, man, how can I help him to consider? Hold on just a second. It could be. Resolve it. Uh, but we'll see. And so mom says, how about this, Leroy? Why don't you go up to your room and, and, and write a letter to God? She's wanted him to consider his last year and, and tell him why you deserve this bike. So Leroy kind of stomps up the stairs into his room, closes his door, and sits down to write a letter. Fine, Mom, I'll write a letter. Dear God, he writes, I've been a very good boy this year, and I would like a bike for my birthday. I want a red one. Your friend, Leroy. Now, as Leroy wrote this and he was looking over it, he knew that this wasn't true. He hadn't been a very good boy that year. And so he ripped this letter up, got another piece of paper, and started writing again. Dear God, this is your friend Leroy. I have been a good boy this year, and I would like a red bike for my birthday. Thank you, your friend, Leroy. Leroy, reading this one over, knew it wasn't true either, so he tore it up and started on a third letter. Dear God, I've been okay, boy, this year. I still would really like a bike for my birthday. Simply, Leroy. Now, Leroy knew that he couldn't send this letter either, and so he folded it up, 
placed it under a book, and wrote a fourth letter. God, I know I haven't been a good boy this year. I am very sorry. I will be a good boy if you just send me a bike for my birthday. Please. And thank you, Leroy. Now, Leroy knew even if this was true, and he meant it at the time, that this probably wasn't going to get him a bike. And he's frustrated and he's sad because he really wants one and he goes downstairs and his mom can see the distress on his face and he's like, mom, can I go to church? And mom's like, heck yeah, this is working. He wants to go. He's praying to God. All right. Yeah. They, he, he, she knows that the church is going to be unlocked, that the pastor is going to be around. And so she says, head down, I'll be back for dinner. And so Leroy puts on his coat and he heads down to the church. And as he does, he walks in and he's kind of looking around to see if anybody else is in there. They have some lights on, a little bit of music playing. He walks up to the altar and he looks over his shoulder again. And as he looks around, he grabs the mother Mary Jesus, sticks her in his coat, runs down the aisleway, down the sidewalk, up into his room, closes the door, puts the Virgin Mary in a box in his closet and gets out his pen and his paper and says, God, I've got your mama. If you ever want to see her again, send the bike. Signed, you know who. You see, Leroy understood some things about communicating with God. There's some lessons to be learned here. Leroy had some clarity. He had some misconceptions on some things, possibly God's motivation, but uh, he understood a few other things also. And as we jump into these parables, I want us to look also at the lessons that Jesus has for us in life. And this is coming right on the heels of what Mike shared with us last week, this telling of the times to come, about end times, about when Jesus would return, about what the world would look like, about the things to be looking for in order to be prepared. One of the things that Mike went back to over and over again is if you're not ready, it's okay because today there's still time to get ready. And even with the dark days that are to come, to know that at least today, at least right now, that there's still time to get ready could be a comfort. And Jesus, out of this moment, uh, goes into these teachings. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. See, Jesus' heart, that's what we're taking at a, a look at, a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. His heart was that the people would be constantly in communication with the Father, just as he was. He knew that this close connection through prayer would bring unity, not only uh, between ourselves and the Father, the Creator, as Jesus had, but also between one another as believers. So why would we lose heart? Why would Jesus understand in this moment and encourage us and tell a parable even to them when he was walking and still talking with them to, to not lose heart when it comes to the matter of prayer? You see, theoretically, we would never lose heart in prayer. We get to approach the throne of the creator of the universe one-on-one, -on -one, no mediator, nobody in between us. The veil is torn. When we are in a relationship with God, we have direct access. So why ever would we get frustrated or would we get sad or would we have our hearts lowered and, and lose heart through prayer? 
See, in theory, we wouldn't, but in practice, I think that we know that we can get that way. Times that you've prayed for somebody who had been in an accident or who had cancer or some other disease, but the answer doesn't come, at least in the way or in the time that you or I would want. Times that we've prayed for relationships to last. God, can you help this last? Or broken relationships to be restored, and yet nothing, those relationships still broken, still separated. Times that we've prayed for direction or for a clear answer, only to not have them come away often in the way that we are looking for them. There's times that I was losing heart and prayer, frustrated even, only uh, to later see that God was answering that prayer in a way that I never saw coming, that I didn't anticipate, that I couldn't have clarity on or see clearly until I was well past, but in the moment, losing heart. And so maybe, just maybe, Jesus knows what he's talking about here. And so he tells a parable so that the people would not lose heart. I want to read this part out of the message, which is a paraphrase. And uh, it goes like this. He said, There was once a judge in some city who never uh, gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less about what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Then the master said, do you hear what the judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet, but how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? Man, listen to that last line. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? See, we're going to come back to those words, so hold on to them. We're going to circle back around here in a few minutes. But we look at this widow persistent in her request and her plea to the uh, unfair even judge, the non-God-fearing judge. And finally, in her persistence, she was heard and, and rendered action by someone who was in authority who would come in and protect her and grant her justice in her very human, very real experience. Jesus goes on to say, how much more will your loving heavenly Father listen to you? And I immediately go to times as we read in Scripture that that's what happened. The Israelites enslaved in Egypt crying out to God. It says that God heard their cries. The Israelites again in Babylonian and Assyrian captivity crying out to God and he heard them and answered even upon Jesus' arrival as they're under Roman occupation did God hear the cries and the pleas of his people and send his son and send an answer for this. And yet Jesus knew even though this was their story even though this was their experience of their people, that they would need to be reminded. Because some would stop praying. 
Some would have lost heart and not gone to God and say, God doesn't answer when or how I want. Is God even listening to me? And they stop praying. And we kind of can look at this and go, man, you have direct access to the creator of the universe. Why would we ever stop praying? And the truth is, because we don't really believe it. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves for a few minutes, I can tell you in times in my life, I would think, man, wouldn't I, if I truly believed that God cared and he listened, wouldn't I go to him more? Wouldn't I bring all of my requests to him? And it's not that I don't believe, it's maybe that I forget what I believe. It's maybe that I've lost heart in being persistent and going to him. And this might be our reality You see, prayer is not all that difficult of a thing to understand, but there's some general things that we want to wrap our heads around when thinking about prayer. In Matthew 6, verse 5 and 7, it says, When you pray, don't be like those show-offs who love to stand up and pray in the meeting places and on the street corners. They do this to look good. When you pray, don't talk on and on as people who don't know God. They think that God likes to hear these long prayers. And so there's some direction in this about how we pray. When you're out in public, he often says to go into a quiet place in your home and and pray. Not that there's anything wrong with praying together and collectively. But when you do, don't do it as the show-offs do. I think of this and what that could look like. Oh, our most precious and holy omnipotent creator whose graciousness and righteousness surpasses all acknowledgments before the heavenly host. Amen. Thou hast delivered us from transgressions of our four. Just stop. No, just don't. Right? I mean, we can pray. We want to acknowledge who God is. We want to go to him in prayer. In fact, that's why we restructured our service just over a year ago. In COVID, when we were meeting through Zoom, we were taking time, and we were all in different homes. We weren't gathered here together, and we broke out into prayer rooms. And we were like, that is so important that when we get back together, let's make sure prayer has a central part of our service. Boy, that thing's going to keep going. If it keeps going, maybe we'll get a handheld, but... Um, And so we restructured our whole services to have that prayer time that we've already shared in today, knowing that, that this is a place to practice, a place to be comfortable about learning that it's not about having the right words uh, or, or being eloquent in your speech, but just real people coming together and re- bringing our request to God. And so we put that as a central part of our service. We don't want prayer just to be a transitionary part from one portion of service to another. And so we made that central to who we are and what we're about. With me and not just have me out there by myself. Stand up. Let me know that I got people on my side, that we're going to walk this town and we're going to be praying for it. A mile. If you can't walk, you can drive it. Praying that God would align our hearts, that he would open our eyes, that he would guide our feet. Thank you. Good. Whew. I had to go get a new pair of shoes, but uh, you got my back. I appreciate that. Let's jump into chapter 19. We only got about an hour left. Verse 12. He goes into another parable. He says, uh, no, no, let's go 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. It's an interesting statement coming off of last week's verse about preparing for the second coming of God, for Jesus to return for him to bring the kingdom of God uh, into the people's presence. They thought it was going to happen then, now. 
And so he tells them this story. I'm going to tell you a parable because it's not going to happen quite in the timing that you think. Verse 12, he says that there was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule in return. But first he called ten servants together, gave them each a sum of money, and instructed them, operate with this until I return. Pick it up in verse 14 uh, in the ESV. says, but his citizens hated Nope, I lost it, yep. Um, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. You see, in this portion of scripture, Jesus is very clearly, as we have it now, talking about himself, that he is going to go away, but he was going to return. And in these verses here, it says that his own people were revolting. They didn't want his reign over them. He was a nobleman, but the people didn't want him as their Lord. That's what it's saying here in this verse. Maybe they wanted the protection that the Lord would bring over the land, but they didn't want the confines of the laws that he would possibly bring with him. Have you guys ever watched show like Dora the Explorer or Rugrats with your kids or grandkids? Like I'm watching Dora the Explorer and it's, it's like this nine-year-old walking all throughout the countryside with a talking map, right? And this fox, this, this wily little fox has tried to kill her a couple dozen times. And I'm watching this like, where's her mom? She's just meandering the countryside. I don't understand what's going on. The rugrats, and they're left in a room. There's like eight or 12 of them. I'm sure they'll be fine over there for eight or 12 hours. Like, what if that was our children's ministry? I would just stick them all in a room. They'll probably be fine by the time we get out of here. You know, when I look at these things, I wonder as I read this verse, is that what was happening? You know, the people were left to their own devices as the ruler walked away. And they had these newfound freedoms within themselves, and they're saying, we don't want him to return. We like it this way. We want to do what we want to do. The unfortunate thing is those kinds of freedoms left unchecked are eventually going to infringe on other people's freedoms. But they send this delegation saying, we don't want him. We don't want him as king. We don't want him as our Lord. Verse 15 When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came to him uh, before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made me ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you have authority over ten cities. And the second one saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, um, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with at least some interest. When he returned, it said here, remember I said we're going to circle back around to that? 
See, in the parable of, of the persistent widow, it said, how much of that persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? See, now the nobleman returns from his time away, and he's going to see how faithful were those who were given a gift. He's, and as we've looked at this in our own goals, like we're seeing, God gave us gifts of time. God has given us gifts of finances. God has given us gifts of talents. What are we doing with them while he's gone? There's a whole lot of people saying we don't want him as Lord. We don't want him as king. But to some, he's entrusted. How are we going to be faithful with what we've been entrusted with? That same author and pastor Tabidi says this. The nobleman points out that this man does not live by his own theology. He confesses something about his Lord, but does not live in light of that confession. Is that us? Do we profess one thing and live another thing? Do we worship the King Eternal here and then walk out and focus only on the temporal, only on the earthly things all week long? Do we read in our devotion times of a God who makes all things new, but then don't trust him to restore relationships? We don't think he's capable. We don't engage in restoring those and being a part of that. Do we sing, how can I keep from singing your praise? And then we don't worship for the next three weeks until we decide to come back to church again? Does our theology inform our action? Do we go, God welcomes us into his presence. He asks us to bring all of our requests, our needs, our anxieties to him. But then day after day, we don't really go to him. I think our theology, what we really believe, does inform our action. Maybe it's time our action changes as we believe in him. Maybe it's a little bit worse. Let's look at how we act in order to see what we really believe. As we're in God's word and we see over and over that he is faithful, as we present our request towards him, and as we rely on one another, we see his faithfulness over and over again. Our actions will change because our theology will change. Prayer is, again, not about changing God's mind to ours, but about aligning our hearts with his. And when we do that, our theology changes. When we understand him better, our theology changes, which means our lives change in pouring out of that. Chapter 19, verse 24, he closes. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who had ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas, I tell you. To everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for the enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Hmm, tell, tell us what you really think, Jesus. For those who make him Lord, he will give life and protection and purpose and joy and peace and so much more than we could ever think or imagine. Not that it's all rainbows and unicorns. It's not. It can be very difficult, but it's a difficult life lived in light of his goodness in our life, lived with a reliance on other believers. We're not perfect in this room. Most of us don't claim to be. We're broken, but we have each other. 
and we have purpose and peace and joy that God gives us with each other at our side and the creator of the universe at our back. And for those who reject his kingship, for those who don't want him, he will give them what they asked for and he won't be their king. But he wants us. He wants everyone. That's not his desire. He wants to be Lord over everyone. Bring this kind of peace and hope and purpose. And he wants us to be his agents to go out and share that love. That he wants to invite you in. He wants to invite you in under his protection. And yeah, that comes with some guidelines. Absolutely. You know why? Because he knows what's best for you. He created you. He knows what is going to give you a full life. And it may not be exactly what we want, but he knows better. And so to fall under his kingship and his lordship is what he invites us to. That's what this time of communion is about. If you have your elements, I want you to grab them. This moment that he believed is so much, he sent his son to earth for the sole purpose of relating, well, to relate to us so that he could be our high priest, so that he could ultimately go to the cross and give us what we could not give ourselves. In our brokenness and the things that we have done to reject him, he died for our sins. And this cracker is his body, representing that he was broken for us because he loved us so much. And we take this to remember him. Then the juice representing his blood that was spilled, the pouring out of his own life so that he could give that life to you because we were dead without him. And this morning's invitation is everybody's invited into this. If you understand that we've messed up, that I've messed up, that I can't fix it all, but he did, that we can come into his presence and come into his purpose to walk with him in all of eternity. And this blood was spilled to give us that, that possibility. This is the new covenant, he said, given in my blood. Do this when you gather to remember, to remember how much I loved you. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship in song together. I want to close with this verse that I think is about prayer and the results of what happens when we are in communication and relationship with God. Matthew uh, chapter 11, it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Amen.